0: We'll be reading from Daniel 7 this morning, and it's a reminder to us that we really don't have a clue what God's plan is except for one thing, and that's that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? So Daniel 7, 1 through 15. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked at, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. And as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. And thousand thousands served him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the court sat in judgment." and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And as for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. And the vision of my head alarmed me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
1: And some people say the Bible is difficult to understand. Come on, can you believe? I mean, believe it or not, there there are six chapters of this stuff towards the end of Daniel. And this morning we're going to begin just to tip our toe into understanding some of what's going on here. But in all seriousness, I love this stuff, okay? I love stories about the end of the world, and just, just to kind of anticipate some questions afterwards, no, it's not because I'm a masochist, okay? But, but I love almost anything that has to do with like a zombie apocalypse, or like a robot apocalypse, or like, you know, an apocalyptic disease. Anything with the word apocalyptic in it pretty much has my attention. And I know I'm not alone. I mean, just look at the popularity of TV shows like The Walking Dead, Right? or Hunger Games, or Ender's Game, or Sharknado, um, maybe not that last one, but you get the idea. It, we love this stuff, and it's been a long love affair. There's a new book out um, titled, How to Survive the Apocalypse, Zombies, Silence, Faith, and Politics at the End of the World, and in it, two authors, Justra and Wilkinson, um, go on to say that before even Orson Welles's 1984, Aldous Huxley's, you know, A Brave New World, really As long as we humans have been telling the story of our beginning, we've also been telling the story of our end. So is Daniel 7 weird? Oh, of course, okay. Is it difficult and confusing? Most definitely. But it's not unique in this apocalyptic kind of genre. There is something that's different, though. There's something different about how we're now telling these end-of-the-world stories as human beings. And the shift, it took place around the turn of the 20th century century. You see, if you look at most of the stories throughout history of this apocalypse, the end of a world, your world, or the world, it was always brought about by a god or the gods. But now when you look at these stories, who's the main harbinger, you know, of like destruction? Um, It's not a deity. Instead, can you guess who it is? Yeah, it's you and me. It's humankind and the things that we create. Even in Ender's game, right? They get to the end and he's defeated them, whoever them is. But internally, there's internal destruction and dismay. And so with the shift, now where we are the ones who bring destruction, there's also a shift in tone. You see, throughout history, when they were telling the stories of the end of the world and if it was the gods or a god who brought it, in most of those stories, it was a god who was making wrongs right. There was hope. But now that it's human beings as the main catalyst, what we come to find, as Ustra and Wilkinson brilliantly highlight, is that we're left with the destruction of our own making with no hope of renewal. You see, most everyone has some sort of theory on how all this is going to end regardless of whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, regardless, really, whether you, to ascri- you ascribe to any religion or not. We all have some sort of theory or thoughts about how everything is going to come to an end, but something that's so unique about where we find ourselves in this 21st century modern world is that we now live in a closed world, a world cut off from anything beyond what we can taste, touch, and smell, anything through the scientific method, anything that we can reason our way through. And so we've cut off, we've closed ourselves off from what has historically been called the super or supra-natural. So we're left with the natural. So what does that mean? That means politics. Politics are left by people who long for, as Nietzsche, you know, an atheistic philosopher said, only have the will to power, the survival of the fittest, the greatest and the strongest will reach to the extreme. And it's about ethics being manipulated so you can get more power. That sounds exciting. Or you have the movement of wildlife, which is nothing more than cause and effect, such that even love is nothing more than a chemical reaction. And so we wrestle through the chemical reactions, we're told, of despair and cynicism. That's what we're left with. And listen, this apocalyptic genre, whether you see it in Daniel chapter 7 or you see it in the last book of the New Testament, Revelation, Or you find it in The Walking Dead or World War Z. All of these, whether they come with the religious accoutrements or not, are very spiritual. And here's why. They're trying to tell you a story on how to understand the world. When you understand its end, you seek to navigate with that end in mind, the middle. They're trying to tell us and give us meaning to life and purpose to life today. And what's so beautiful is as we sit here in a modern, closed-off world is that Daniel busts the roof open again, and he gives us this insurmountable hope. Now, to be clear, this hope, it doesn't come, not ultimately in some sort of timeline or being able to give the name of what is often called the Antichrist, and we're not going to get into that discussion this morning. I think in Daniel 7, when we come to apocalyptic genre, it does one better It gives us a bigger picture of the world the way it is today, and a bigger understanding of reality more broadly. You see, it's not just about informing us and giving us a list of facts. The goal is to move us. This is what art does. That's why you find these pictures of these beautiful beasts that we're going to unpack. It's meant to stir our affections. And remind us who's in control. The goal isn't to answer every one of our questions so that we now feel like we're in control. No, no, no. And so when we come to Daniel 7, we should come to expect seeing a bigger world than we once thought possible. And actually a deeper hope that we once thought was lost. That's what we see here in Daniel 7. Does that sound pretty good? Sound excited? I, I'm excited. I really I and mean, I really like this stuff. Okay. Woo! Okay, I got a whoop in the back. That doesn't happen every week. Way to go. Um, so let's take a look together. Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter seven. If you are using one of our community Bibles, it's found on page number 744. While you're turning there today, we're going to focus on what we do know. We're not going to spend our times in conjecture. Okay? We're going to focus on what we do know, and we're going to look at four tips on how to face the apocalypse without losing your soul. Okay? Four tips on how to face the apocalypse without losing your soul, and just, just to give you some insight, we're not going to talk about buying some bunker in the Rocky Mountains, one, because they're really expensive, um, and that's just outlandish, and so for the rest of us who have meager budgets, um, let's figure out how we're going to do this, and we're going to look through Daniel's eyes and see what God has revealed about reality, and here's the first tip, here's the first tip, tip number one, don't be surprised by suffering, don't be surprised by suffering, why? Why? because things are worse than you think. (laughs) Gabe, hey, hey, wait a second. I thought this wasn't supposed to be so dystopian. Yeah, but we're not going to come with some naive optimism either. It's still the apocalypse. (laughs) No way, shape, or form. I mean, it's still the apocalypse. And listen, okay, it gets really dark, and it gets real destructive. I mean, remember, this is Stonewall Daniel here. The guy who faced the lion's den almost without a wink. The guy who came up to Belshazzar and said, hey, your kingdom's gonna fall before nightfall and I don't want nothing from you. This is Daniel and yet after he gets a vision, he's physically shaken. Physiologically, blood leaves his face. It says in the end of chapter seven, his color changes. This terrifies him. So let's look at this vision, shall we? (laughs) Beginning here in verse Two, look with me. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. Okay, so this, this starts to sound pretty sci-fi to us, right? Um, but these images, they were loaded with so much meaning in Daniel's day. The sea was the place of chaos and evil, and it's being stirred up. So anyone who's hearing about this vision around Daniel's time frame, knew something bad was about to happen. It's kind of like today, most of our understanding, the chaos comes from the sky, not from the sea, right? It's the new frontier. So we see it in Independence Day. You can see it in Ghostbusters, right? You name it, when the thing starts spinning and and a wormhole opens, nothing good is about to come out of that baby, right? So back to our beasts here. They come out of this chaos and they bring chaos. They bring war and they devour everybody in their path and each beast is worse than the one before, which makes sense, right? Because only a worst beast can defeat the other beast. it kind of makes logical sense. Then you get to one of the worst and Daniel, and part of the passage that we didn't read here in verse 21 says this. As I looked, this horn, which is part of one of the beasts, made war with the saints. So that's God's people in this cosmic battle and prevailed over them. Pause for a moment. Daniel's watching as evil wins. God's people are being defeated. Pain has the upper hand. Death and destruction are on the rise, and they appear almost unstoppable. And listen, it's it's not like this is a literal horn, okay, or a literal beast, Um, but they are a picture of this battle that's being waged. And what we often think, I think what what we're often told is that the greatest enemy that poses to humanity is humanity itself. That's how we've seen these apocalyptic stories transform. And that could be a person who's in power is now the greatest enemy, or those people, right? There's always a those people. No matter who you are, you've got a those People, But God wants Daniel to see when he's in captivity as a slave, he wants you and me to see here in the 21st century in Kansas City that there's this intense battle that's being waged all around us and we don't even see it happening. The greatest enemy to God's purpose is it doesn't come in flesh and blood. And no, that doesn't mean I'm talking about the Terminator, okay? Um, it, It isn't that that person or even those people, whoever they are to you, it's worse than you think. The way the Apostle Paul talks about it, and his letter to the church in Ephesus is this way. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I think I want to be careful here and say that there isn't a, de- a, you know, a demon or a devil behind every bush. That's not what we're trying to say this morning. And I know it can sound a little out there, And here's why it sounds so strange to us. Because once again, we are in one of those rare moments in history where our world is closed to anything beyond what we can see. We feel like that is normal. And anything beyond what we can see, anything beyond what we can rationalize, because, man, we can explain away everything anymore, can't we? Until we can't. What do I mean? One, One of the more recent moments in modern history is the horrendous genocide that inc- occurred in Rwanda some 22 years ago. Think about this. In 120 days, one million people were brutally slaughtered by who? Their co-workers? Their neighbors? Their friends? Romeo um, Dolier, I think I'm saying his name right, the commander of the UN peacekeeper is stationed there. They had limited troops, and they were told, hey, don't get involved in this. Stand by the wayside. And he watched as all this went down, and, In an interview, after all the bloodshed had subsided, somebody came up to him in this interview and they said, well, how can you believe that there's a God that exists after you've seen all of this? And you know what his response was? This is what he said. I know there's a God because in Rwanda, I shook hands with the devil. I've seen him, I've smelled him, and I've touched him. I know the devil exists, and therefore, I know there is a God. When we experience... Darkness and evil that's beyond human capacity as if there's something bigger going on in this brutal bloodshed. More evil than we could have fathomed. The burning of a church, a KKK rally, school shootings, the persecution and mutilation of Christians around the world. We try to say, oh, this is just extremism, sociology, brain chemistry, and some of that plays a part. But it's worse than you think. Don't limit it to that. It's not plausible enough to explain the robust evil that surrounds us. We're in a bigger battle than we could have imagined. Peter writes this in one of his letters. Peter who walked and talked with Jesus in the first century. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And no matter whether you're in exile like Daniel in Babylon or in exile in first century Rome like Peter or in exile in the 21st century of Kansas City, don't be surprised by suffering. We're in a battle and it's it's way worse than you think. Which leads us to our second tip. Don't get too comfortable. Don't get too comfortable. Remember, these beasts, they're, they're not meant to be literal, but they're representative of nations. This is what Daniel's told later in Daniel chapter 7, verse 17. These four beasts are four kings and their kingdoms who shall arise out of the earth. And these symbols, you need to understand, they were very familiar to Babylonians, okay? So take, for example, the lionesque eagle that we saw in verse 4 um, that had these wings, And the wings were plucked off and it stood up and was given the mind of a man. Well, this is a symbol of Babylon. And right here we have kind of a picture from a famous glaze around that time period. These were symbols that were well known. This wasn't out of nowhere. These concepts actually represented certain things to the imagination of those people in that culture. And then Daniel says, you know, after the lion is destroyed, he's destroyed by a bear, which is the Medes and Persians, like we saw at the end of chapter 5. Then Daniel sees a leopard with wings and four heads, and he's really fast, and he brings in this destruction very quickly. Many scholars think that that was Greece. And lastly, the most heinous beast of all, many scholars point to, was Rome, with its many Caesar after Caesar after Caesar, represented by those horns. Okay, but why does... Why does God tell this to Daniel? Is it just to show, hey, I knew this was coming? Is it just to show his sovereignty? I think that's part of it, but I think there's a little bit more here and also helping us temper our expectations and knowing that empires, with all their brutality, they come and go. Don't get too comfortable. Why? Because empires, they come and go. And listen, this empire, this nation, the United States, this isn't our final kingdom. Instead, we're meant to be a little out of place. Like we first and foremost belong to another nation, another king. And so, everything we do, everywhere we do it, especially where we spend the majority of our time within our workspace, right? It should speak of a different culture. It should speak slightly different language and hold alternative values, such so that should, even at the cost of great comfort, we're willing to sacrifice. It both resonates with some of the best parts of this temporary culture and simultaneously confronts and is distinct from some of the aspects of the temporary culture. But remember, we're to hold it loosely. Now, that's not to say that we don't pursue the common good of the city that we find ourselves in today, because that's exactly what we see here with with Daniel. He works for the Babylonians, right? Since he's a citizen of a better kingdom, that's the only hope of knowing what making this city better looks like. We've been given categories for that. Jeremiah encourages the nation of Israel to plant trees and actually put down roots in Babylon. But hold it loosely, because another beast is yet to come. Empires come and go, so don't get too comfortable. And that leads me to my third tip. Tip number three, don't wait to get ready. Don't get, you know, uh, there's a word for that when it comes to like world devastation. They're called preppers. (laughs) Have you ever seen it? So preppers, like there's like this whole line of items. You can be buying food and you start to stockpile it for when the world just goes into this nuclear, you know, toxic, whatever people think. But here, um, well, let's look at this at verse nine. Don't wait to get ready. As I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and their hair The hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. Why? Why don't wait to get ready? Because judgment is coming because judgment is coming. And listen, for some people, listen, for some people, that's a breath of fresh air. In, a world, there is, in our world, there's always defendants and plaintiffs, and there are so many who've been disenfranchised, who've been abused, who've been oppressed. People like Daniel. And when they hear that God's justice is, bring, is going to be brought about, when he says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and he will bring it, it's like salve on a wound that nothing in this world can bring. There's real evil that must be judged. Real wrongs that need to be righted. And if God does not exist, then the chances of that happening are slim to none. And whether it be Christian brothers and sisters who are murdered by their Islamic family members as a part of honor killings because of their conversion to Jesus Christ, whether it be Jewish men and women who were sent to death camps because they were considered inferior by an evolutionary theory of eugenics. Whether it be African-American brothers and sisters who were abused because of the color of their skin, even still today. Justice through God's judgment is good news. And good news we need to hear that God will not always forget the downtrodden. And honestly, only if God is, God's judgment is coming on evil... Can we hand over the reins of revenge, which only begats more violence and greater fragmentation? So, yeah, for some, judgment is good news. But in another sense, when Daniel and all of Scripture bust the roof off of our closed world, in another sense, judgment is bad news for everyone. As Alexander Solzheitsyn, you know, who survived the gulags, He so brilliantly said, and he's really famous for making this statement, if only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it, it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? He speaks of that self destructive and self protective nature in each person. The way the Apostle Paul says this so brilliantly in writing to the church in Rome is for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He got this way before our culture caught up to it. See, we've all missed it. We're all a part of the problem. You're a part of the problem. I'm a part of the problem. So don't wait to get ready because judgment is coming. And for some it means good news, but for all of us it means real bad news. So how do we get ready? A little bit later in Daniel chapter 9, we see Daniel doing exactly this. Um, He prays a prayer of confession. And listen, what's so unique about this prayer in Daniel chapter 9 is that it's not a confession of things that he's done himself personally. He actually confesses the sins of the nation of Israel, his people. These things that he was not alive when they, were, when they happened. He could not have possibly been actively engaged in them. And yet he understands the guilt of a nation lies on every one of its citizens. This is a biblical principle. We don't normally think that way, do we? We celebrate individualism and freedom. You know, if my hand wasn't holding the whip or the knife, then my hands are clean. If I don't see harm in the moment, then it can't certainly be wrong. And yet we miss how we are complicit in the sins of our history as a nation. A nation that has committed genocide, a nation that has enslaved people based upon their skin color and continues to show bias explicitly and implicitly towards people of color because of their skin color rather than the content of their character. A nation that's opened the door for the murder of some 50 million unborn babies ever since Roe v. Wade in 1973. We, all, we want all of it without the guilt and shame. And so we push God out of the picture. And I think here is why, maybe more than any other reason, why we love a closed world that God is not a part of. Because we can do what we want. The repercussions are nothing more than cause and effect rather than guilt and shame. And guilt and shame becomes the problem rather than God and His justice bringing out and meeting out His judgment. Please listen. Don't wait to get ready because judgment is coming. Cry out for God and His mercy over your own sins and actually the sins of our nation and the sins of this particular community because the apocalypse is awful. And yet, there is more. There's more for this world and where it's going. There's more than we could think or imagine. There's more even than just knowing that God is sovereign and superseding and overseeing all of that. You see, this more, in a world where we're told there isn't anything more, this more is for those who aren't surprised by suffering, This more is for those who find themselves not getting too comfortable. This more is for those who don't wait to get ready. And that's where we find ultimately our final tip here, which is more of a charge to see this more, to hold on to hope for more. Even though it's worse than you think, even though this empire will fall, even though judgment is coming, a better end is on the horizon. A better end is on the horizon. In verse 13, we see this with Daniel. Look with me. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." And not only is there a new king and a new kingdom, but look what else Daniel sees down in verse 27. It is given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey them. So who is this king? This one that is like a son of man, which isn't to say he is not fully human, but not actually to say, is is going to say he's not merely human. Fully human, but also something else. And who are his people? You see, in some sense, the, the apocalypse has already been enacted. The wheels of justice have already began to tread. And when you look at the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what does Jesus call himself some 69 times but the Son of Man? You know, when asked by the high priest Caiaphas in Jerusalem right before he goes to his crucifixion, Caiaphas asks, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he's uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You've now heard this blasphemy. And it was with these charges that they sent Christ to the cross. You see, Caiaphas, he knew Daniel 7. He knew what Jesus was proclaiming about himself, that he was like a son of man, fully human, but somehow more. And they're blown away because this is Jesus of Nazareth, this weakling. This doesn't line up with their timetable on how God was going to work in the world. Suffering? The Messiah was to suffer? What does that speak of our timetable and our power and our redemption? And this must be blasphemy. And of course it is, if it's not true. Then Jesus deserved everything he got. But it is true. Jesus came born of a virgin in accordance with the prophecy of the prophet Isaiah. And what he came to do was to take care of the bad news of justice so we could rest in the good news of justice. He came that he might take the wages of sin and death upon himself to be our substitute, to pay our penalty, and to take the guilty verdict off of us when the books are open and die our death and make a way of reconciliation. That whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Or as the Apostle Paul said, he who knew no sin became our sin that we might become what? The righteousness of God declared right on the book, so when the final judgment comes, we can rest secure so that God can be both just, punishing sin and injustice that our hearts ache for, but also the justifier, providing forgiveness that our hearts so desperately need, each and every one of us. And then he arose three days later and he's promised to come again. And this time with the rod of justice, And he'll bring a kingdom and he'll sit on his throne in space and time for all eternity. And those who are his ecclesia, made up of Jew and Gentile, his community, as we see in Revelation, that's made up of every now tribe and tongue. And not even the gates of death will be able to prevail against her in the end. This is the better end that's on the horizon. This is the kingdom. It's already begun breaking into our world and we can hold on, to our, I'll hold on to hope because at this moment right now, we read this in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is, as he said, he would be seated at the right hand of the father, the ancient of days, the son of God, the son of man, fully human and fully God. And when the time is right, he will come again and he will usher in a kingdom from everlasting to everlasting and those who are his will rule with him. And even the worst of injustices will seem like nothing more than a bad dream in a distant past, in the face of eternity. You know what happens when you see this end? And your closed world gets its roof busted off? You can endure any middle. We've seen this time and again throughout history. But those who've experienced such grave injustices, and still communicate such great kindness and compassion that actually speaks a great word of judgment to the brokenness of this world. You see, whatever it is, when you see this end and who holds this end in his hands, you can endure any middle. And so we can no longer be held in the grasps of cynicism and despair, but know that hope has a deeper ravine in this universe. And we can hold on to hope, hold on to hope that there is more because a better end is on the horizon and the sun has already began to crest over the mountains such that in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., we can hold fast that, yes, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice such that we can now cry with every one of our brothers and sisters across this world, within this nation, and throughout history, come, Lord Jesus, come. But may we be ready May we be ready. Let's pray. Sovereign God, we, we pause to pray first that you would give us eyes to see the end and so strengthen us to endure whatever awaits us as your people. We also pray specifically for our brothers and sisters within this nation and around the world who are persecuted for their faith or injustice. We pray that while in the severity of pain, your Holy Spirit would strengthen them to remember the promise of everlasting life for all who trust in Christ. May the church amidst so much hate. Remember how much you love them with an invincible love as displayed in the gospel, so that they might know How to share that same gospel even with those who oppress them. Heavenly Father, may those who are gripped by fear be empowered by your grace to fearlessly tell others about Jesus. Loving God, we pray that in the midst of suffering, imprisonment, beatings, racism, rejection, and confiscation of even loved ones, that they would continue to have access to your word, that they would be enriched by your promises. Give our brothers and sisters courage to remain in their homeland as a gospel witness and continue to bring around them a new family in the church who loves and supports them emotionally and physically. Also, may you be an advocate for women who are socially vulnerable and have lost the custody of their children because of their faith. And we pray that you would provide persecuted believers with jobs and safe places to live. Our God, may you break our hearts over the suffering of your body around the world even now and in our nation today. And rather than run from it, guide us in courage to enter into suffering with our global family for the purpose of your gospel and the glory of your name. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Lord Jesus, come quickly and precious Holy Spirit, comfort, care, and sustain the church in all places until the return of Jesus Christ. In his name, For whom millions have counted it an honor to die, we pray. Amen, amen,
0: and amen.